So I'm going to start off, actually, with just making a couple of comments on verses, well, more than a couple, probably, just on verses 1 and 2. And then, actually, we'll be looking at the heart of the messages in verse, verse 3. So <clears throat> the writer starts off that, saying that in the past, God has spoken to our forefathers through the prophets. To our forefathers. And, you know, I talked in the first week in this series that I don't believe this book, this letter specifically was written to Hebrew Christians only. I believe that it was written also to Gentile Christians. And here's one of those places some people come to and they say, well, our forefathers, our forefathers, that's the Hebrews' forefathers, right? Ah, no! It's our forefathers. It's the Gentiles' forefathers as well. We are children of Abraham. It's kind of an important forefather, right? We're children of Abraham by faith. Paul tells us in Galatians 3.7. He says it this way, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And not just Abraham, but all these Old Testament characters. Ever read your Bible real close and find out that some of these Old Testament patriarchs are a bunch of scoundrels and hoodlums and they're sleeping with other people's wives and trading off their wives as their sisters? And like... That's who he has in... Yeah, I know, all of them, right? It's like, you're kidding me. Wow, this is crazy. Those are our forefathers nonetheless, though. Those are our examples of what it looks like to have faith. And so they're not just the Hebrews' forefathers. They're our Gentile Christian forefathers. Abraham has pointed the way of what it looks like to have faith. We become part. We, think about this for a second. We, you, and me, you. Just think of yourself for a second. Just not be selfish for just a moment. You are part of God's story. You're a part of God's story. It might not be written down anywhere, but you are part of God's story. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. You're part of that story. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, we are talking about the uh, creator of the cosmos, the one who holds all things together, sustains all things, and gives life to all things. You're part, of his, you're part of his story. You have become part of God's plan for redeeming the world. The writer says that he has spoken to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. At many times. And in various ways. All right, I'm going to get Greek on you for just a second here. In Greek, you can actually change the sentence order of where you're going to put words. In English, we kind of have a standard format of where the verb goes, where the subject goes, where the noun goes. But in Greek, you can mix things up a little bit. And actually, this at many times and in various ways is one of the most important ideas in this beginning sentence. And the reason I say that is because it actually, in Greek, is the, is, are the words that come first. Unlike English, of course, again, it's not subject, verb, object. You can move things around. So if you want to make something prominent and important, even if it doesn't really seem like it should fit at the beginning of a regular sentence, you can put it there to trigger everybody to think, oh, why is he starting off with it many times and in various ways? So it's the key idea at the beginning of this sentence. It actually goes like this. At many times and in various ways in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. The Greek letter to the Hebrews is oftentimes closer to Yodish than English. Do you know what Yodish is? 
Yodish. Yodish. That's what Yoda speaks. Hmm, at many times, and in various ways in the past, to our forefathers, through the prophets, God spoke. Something like that, right? <laughs> I'm glad some of you are getting this, right? <laughs> I couldn't do better. I did better when I was practicing. Hmm. Let me try it again. Hmm. At many times and in various ways in the past to our forefathers through the prophets, God spoke. I don't know if that was any better. Uh, uh. <laughs> no, I'm done. <laughs> so obviously, right, the writer is not trying to conjure up Yoda for us. So what is going on? Why is at many times and in various ways the emphasis of this opening sentence? Well, the point is this. Throughout history, God has been speaking to his people. Let's stop there for just a minute. Have you ever heard God speak to you? Golly, I wish he spoke to me even more often. But if you put yourself in God's path, he will speak to you. If you ask God to speak to you, he will speak to you. You are God's people. So it's just profound to stop right there and consider that God speaks to his people. He's not some distant God floating around up on a cloud someplace shooting us with lightning bolts. He's a God who speaks to us. He communicates with us. And he has been communicating with his people many times and with various methods. He hasn't just used words to speak to his people. He's used some pretty crazy means to speak to his people, right? A burning bush. A voice comes out of a burning bush. God speaks to a an unconsumed burning bush. That's a weird way. I wouldn't think of that, right? <laughs> I'm going to communicate something to somebody. I'm going to make a bush that doesn't burn up, but it's on fire. Great way. Or better yet, a still small voice. I mean, we would think I would use the lightning bolt all the time, right? <laughs> or raining down thunder and rain and fire from the sky. Let's talk to him like that. But God's like, no, the still small voice. Slow down. Listen to me. Various ways. Or, or Numbers 22, right? You guys know this, how God spoke there, right? Right? <laughs> spoke through a donkey. A donkey, of all things. That's some various ways. We've got a pretty creative God to speak to us through a donkey. Sometimes we're so stubborn-headed that we need a most stubborn animal to speak to us in order to hear what God has to say. That would get my attention if I'm not listening. No, I'm not listening. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to go where you want me to go. Well, I'm going to use a donkey to speak to you. Oh, okay. Hmm. And of course, numerous times, there's so many things we could look at. Uses other men and women. God has used, used people to speak profoundly and authoritatively. But, and this is where the writer is going to go, all that speaking and all of those speakers, as vast and as various and as influential as they have been, now pale. Even the donkey pales in comparison to how God has recently spoken to his people. Even the donkey. <laughs> or even King David. Or even Nathan. All of those prophets, all of those people, all of those means in various ways that God speak, has spoken in the past pales in comparison to this. And he continues, but recently... In these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. His Son. He's not spoken through 
a donkey anymore. He's speaking through a son. I mean, I'm going to take a son as a little more authoritative than donkey, right? Like, don't get me wrong. It's going to perk up my ears if a donkey's speaking to me. But if I know the one that's come to me is son, I'm going to listen a little closer. It's not in a burning bush. It's not in a still, small voice. It's not in a donkey. It's not in fallible man or woman. But through Jesus, the son, to God, to us, God has spoken. There we go. <laughs> He's spoken to us through his son. And the son is, he goes on to tell us, the one, the one through whom God made the universe. The one through whom God made the universe. He made the universe through Jesus. Through the word. In other words, among other things we could explore, Jesus was before all things that were made. Jesus, not incarnate. He was, this is what the psalm, I mean the, uh, the, the creed says, he's begotten, not made. He was, he was begotten, he was born as son, but he wasn't made. He always was, Jesus was, the eternal word of God. And God spoke the word, and things came into life, came into being. God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. And that word that God spoke later becomes incarnate, Jesus. That's crazy. <laughs> I think I want to listen to that voice. It's what John the Baptist is talking about when he says, he who comes after me was before me. He was born after him, but he actually was existing before. The pre-existence of the Son of Jesus is essential Christian confessing, confession concerning Jesus' identity. It's throughout the pages of the New Testament. John, the gospel writer, puts it this way. Almost, it's quite, quite, you can actually see a lot of similarities between Johannine theology and the, 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 the theology of Hebrews. He, he puts it this way. Through him, Jesus, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Ah, we should pay attention to this voice if it's speaking to us, right? Paul the Apostle also spells this pre-existence of the Son out really clearly. He puts it this way to the Colossians. For through Him all things were created. There we go. Through Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Golly, it's hard to imagine there's stuff that exists that we don't even see. It's kind of freaky. Don't bump into it. <laughs> or maybe you should. I don't know. Those things invisible or visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, all things, not some things, not most things, but all things have been created through him and for him. The Son is the word. God spoke everything into existence by. Gives us kind of a fresh maybe perspective on Jesus. When just the name Jesus rolls off, our tongues. Or when we say maybe Jesus is Lord. Hmm. Gives a new, deeper, broader context to understand that. And from eternity, he's not just the one who has created all things. Including you, by the way. Just don't miss that. <laughs> he's also been appointed as heir of all things. 
I think this is what Jesus is talking about when he prays to his Father that he not lose anyone that has been given to him. All things are his. He holds us in the palm of his hands and desires to never lose us, to always have us, for us to always be with him. Beautifully, it's not just Jesus that's heir. He is the heir. But we share in his inheritance as we are in him. So he is the one who inherits all things. And Paul in Romans 8.17 tells us that if we share in Jesus' suffering, is isn't always easy to do. But if we share in his suffering, our willingness to lay down our lives and endure all things for the sake of Jesus, we too share in that inheritance. Y'all are heirs of these all things, whatever they are, of which we don't even know what they all are. Y'all are heirs along with Jesus. Therefore, as the pre-existing one through whom all things have been made, and as the heir of all, what the Son says is superior to all of these many and various ways God had formerly spoken to His people. Jesus trumps it all. He explains it all. He makes sense of it all. Jesus does. The Son is greater. The Son is authoritative above all other voices. The Son alone is the perfect representation of the Father. God puts it two ways. Maybe it's one way and two times, slightly different. One at Jesus' baptism, the other at his transfiguration. God the Father says, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Or maybe he said it this way. This is my son, pointing at Jesus, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I don't know, I wasn't there. I would probably say the latter for my sake anyway. The son and I know I've already said this. The sun nails it. Unlike it has ever been nailed before. Pun intended. The sun nails it. Unlike it has ever been nailed before. This is so important. Without this understanding, we get so many things so very wrong. I want to tell you a story. When I was a still green behind the ears, toe-headed little kid of about 10 years old, I had a dream. Actually, it was more of a, a nightmare, to be quite honest with you. If you don't like nightmares, plug your ears. In the dream, I was at a friend's house, pretty close friend. I'd been over there a number of times before, but in this dream, we were outside, and there were a bunch of us playing, maybe five or ten other kids, I don't know. We were all outside goofing around, and one friend of mine who lived there, his dad comes home. Comes home from work, and he was a, a laborer. He was a short but strong man, not stocky. He was lean. If I remember right, he was bald. No offense to those who are bald, or maybe there is. In my dream, his jeans were dirty. And so was his shirt. 
in his lean, veiny arms were shoes. He was packing them up toward his house. I think if I really, I'm not joking, if I remember right, they were hush puppies. Right? The little brown shoes with the laces. And he walks up and he lines up all of us kids. And I'm at the back of the line, hoping I get a pair of hush puppies. And he goes through each kid, finding a pair of shoes that fits, fits each boy. And I'm watching, and I'm getting excited watching all these kid wear, kids wearing their new shoes, and they're uh, running around, and finally it's my turn, and I get up there, and I, I sit down, and he's got one pair of shoes left, about two sizes too small. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> that wouldn't be a nightmare. That I could handle. He says, let's go out to the wood shop. I'm not joking. This is a dream, praise God. And he gets out his miter box. I think I told my dad this dream before. He might remember it. And he tells me to put my foot in the miter box. And he's going to cut off my toes so he fit the shoes. I don't know. I think I woke up. Because that's about the point you wake up in a bad dream, right? It's just about ready to cut, right? I was terrified by that dream. I'm like 10 years old. I was terrified not just by the dream, but to be quite honest with you, it took me a long time to ever look at my friend's dad and not be afraid. I had through that dream a radical misunderstanding of my dad's friend. Through that dream. He was himself in many and various ways a bit rough around the edges. But he was certainly no toe cutter offer. <laughs> but I was a child with a very vivid imagination. I had a really hard time reconsidering what my nightmarish dream spoke to me about my friend's dad. Which brings me to a question What is God really like? Is he a toe cutter offer? What is he really like? Actually, this is what verse 3 is all about. This is the whole point of the Son being superior to every other voice, every other way that God has spoken. Verse 3a says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of of his being. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Uh, you can't separate the two, right? How do you separate the light emanating from the bulb and the light itself, right? Or the rays from the sun and the sun itself. You can't separate them. They're intimately linked together. The Father, God the Father is like glorious and radiant and Jesus the Son is like the rays that shine down on us and give us life that sustain us, that provide for us, that give us hope, that change us. The Son, Jesus, is the exact representation of God's being. I'm going to get Greek on you again for just a second. 
The word translated exact representation is one word, actually. And it means something different than what it's going to sound like, but, it's clo- but it's, there, there's some similarities. The Greek word is character, with a K. Character. And it means a stamp or a seal, like a signet ring. It's a noun. And it means like if you had a signet ring and you were going to send a letter to somebody... You'd light yourself a candle if you had one and drip some wax on the seal and you would put the impression of the ring right into the wax. That's what a character does. Some of y'all are characters and you leave your impressions all over the place. (laughs) So Jesus is a character. He's a character. He is the exact representation putting the stamp of, of his father all over the place. The word that is translated being, concerning God's being, is hypostasis, and it means being, or essence. It speaks of the invisible, transcendent realities. In this case, the invisible, transcendent reality of God. What we are being told then is that Jesus, the Son, is the impress, the visible stamp of God's being. He is the perfect representation of God's invisible transcendent reality. So when we ask the question, what is God really like? He's like Jesus. I like the way John's Gospel puts this in 118. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is in close relationship with the Father, has made Him known. Jesus has perfectly expressed and made known the underlying reality of God's character. Hmm. Cool. So what does that tell us? What impress of God's formerly invisible transcendent reality does Jesus give us? What does that stamp look like? When we read the Gospels and we see Jesus, we're seeing God. To his disciples, Jesus says, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. Jesus does exactly what he sees his Father doing in heaven. So what do we see? What do we see in Jesus? Well, we see that God likes to party. Right? Can I get an amen to that at least, please? Thank you very much. God likes to party. It's the first miracle he does. He changes water into wine. He likes to party. He's at a wedding feast. God's not some uptight prig. God cares about us. He likes to hang out with us. He likes to spend time with us. He likes to party with his people. I mean, it's got to be kind of on his terms, right? But nonetheless, he likes to party. God does not abandon. He does not abandon the lost. 
That's what God is like. He's not an abandoner of the lost. He's a seeker of the lost. You feel lost ever? God's seeking you. This is a hard one sometimes in super intense church situations to get our minds around, but God is a friend to sinners. He's a friend to sinners. He hangs out with sinners. He spends time with tax collectors and prostitutes and drunkards and swindlers. What? Is that what God is like? Yeah, that's what God is like. <laughs> it's true. It's a good point, right? You know, that's one of the things Jesus is highly criticized for by the religious crowds. I can't believe that guy. He thinks he's a somebody and he's hanging out with sinners. What a jerk. Why isn't he hanging out with me? I'm so much better than those worthless sinners. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we're not. God is not into we see by this stamp that Jesus offers us into shaming us. He doesn't shame us. That's, that doesn't make us feel like pathetic losers even when we totally blow it, right? The prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, what does God do in, the, in that story? What does the father do? He watches every day on the horizon for the son to show up, the son who's just blown his wealth, wishing that his father was dead and asking for his inheritance. Parties it up. Prostitutes, booze. And then when the sun finally shows up one day when he's watching on the horizon for him to come around, he doesn't shame him. He just runs out to him and hugs him. Puts a signet ring on his finger. Puts the best tunic he has on his shoulders. Loves him. Cares about him. And then throws a godly party for him. Killing the fatted calf. God isn't into shaming us. That's what we see in Jesus. We see in Jesus, quite honestly, that God does rebuke us sometimes. He does convict us sometimes, and he corrects us oftentimes. Praise God, because who knows where we're going if he doesn't, right? He convicts us, but he's not into condemning us. We see this stamp of what God is like and how Jesus interacts in many occasions, but one in particular, the woman caught in adultery. By the very finger of God, he writes in the dirt. Everyone walks away because they know they can't live up to whatever Jesus wrote on the dirt. And he looks at the woman and he says, so who condemns you? Who stands here to judge you? No one. Then neither do I. This is what our God is like. Our Creator. God is the God of 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 28,582 chances. The woman at the well married five times. But Jesus doesn't, he doesn't give up on her. He meets her, he loves her, he cares about her. We see in Jesus that God wants us to follow him. He wants us to pursue him. He wants us to have a life with him. This one who has made all things and sustains all things, wants a relationship with us. We see in Jesus that God is love. We see a God who is willing to lay down everything for the sake of redeeming us, sending his one and only son that we might gain life. We see that God is for us. He is for us. He is for you. 
He is not against you. We see that God is gentle. He says, you who are weary and overwhelmed, you who feel tired, worn out, and run down, you who are burdened with a way of life that is anything but life-giving, you who are burned out on religion, come to me, God says. I will show you how to find real rest. He says, walk with me and learn the unforced rhythms of a life in grace. He says, I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I won't even chop your toes off to fit you in a pair of shoes. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And with me, you will find rest for your souls. I just have this question. Have you been living with misunderstandings about God? Have you been living with the perspectives that God is just an angry God? That He can't stand you, that He doesn't want to look at you? That He's disappointed in you? Or have you been a child of grace living knowing that Jesus is the impress of God and that He loves you? He's laid down His life for you. He is the one who reflects what God is really like. I just invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I know that there are those among us tonight that maybe for the first time, maybe for the 7,000th time, just want to come back to you and experience your gentle touch. Your healing. They need your touch. They need to know that you are the lover of their souls, Heavenly Father. So I just pray this very moment that you would touch them. That you would inspire them. That you would well up Holy Spirit inside of them. And that they would see you. That they would hear you. That they would know you are for them and not against them. That they would know you are gentle and they can come to you that they can find rest for their weary souls. Praise you, Heavenly Father, that your glory, that your glory is revealed to us in your Son. Thank you that you, in these days, have spoken to us through your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Praise you from now until eternity. Amen.